Good morning, Parkway Church. How you guys doing? Good. I'm so glad you're here with us. Parkway Victoria, Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, and those that are out doing yard work at Parkway Online, we are so glad that you're here with us today. We're kicking off a new series where we're stepping into the New Testament together. We are going to be walking through for the next year the New Testament like chunk by chunk, book by book. It's going to be an amazing study. And we take our first step in with a look at the first four books in the New Testament. These are the Gospels. These are the stories of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. These are the stories of Jesus' teaching, of his miracles. These are the stories of Jesus' grace and love for you and for me. And today we're going to get to know the first Gospel writer. His name is Matthew. And Matthew was like, he was writing to his people. Matthew was Jewish. And so he was writing to a Jewish crowd, much like if you and I were writing love letters, one to our wife and one to our kids. The, like the, the crux of the message would be the same, I love you, but the content would be a little targeted based on whether or not you're writing towards your wife or towards your kids, correct? So as we look at the Gospels, each Gospel is going to teach us about God's love for us displayed in Jesus Christ. But each one of them has a unique perspective. In Matthew, his name was also Levi. He's going to come from a very Jewish perspective. There are 130 Old Testament quotes in the Gospel of Matthew. He's trying to show that Jesus is the promised one of God. He's the promise fulfilled. In fact, if you open the book of Matthew... What you begin with there is not the nativity story, but instead you begin with the story of, of, of like God. We see Jesus's uh, genealogy. That's like his ancestry.com, y'all. We see Jesus was promised to us in, 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 like in God's covenant with Abraham. And we see through the ages where the Abrahamic covenant and Abraham's family grew until Jesus came. So from the promise to the baby in Bethlehem, we see God's promise in the book of Matthew. Matthew also wrote in such a way that people's ears would perk up when they heard what Jesus was teaching. There are references to the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew that the Jewish ears would peek up, like they would turn, they would get, give Jesus their attention because they were looking for his kingdom. They were looking for a ruler to come and reign here on earth. And so every time Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like this, Matthew would write it down and the people would listen even more. And Matthew was also the only book, the only gospel that said Jesus didn't come to destroy the Old Testament law, but he came to fulfill it. And so what we're gonna see through the gospel of Matthew together today is that God delivered on his promise. He promised through the Old Testament that he would send his Savior. He did. He promised that he would send it through the line of David. He did. He promised that he'd send the Savior who wouldn't look like the ruler that everyone was looking for. And he did. This is the story of Matthew that I hope you get to know today. So I was sitting there. It was an ordinary day. I was just going about my everyday business. I was sitting at my booth and I was collecting taxes. Yeah, I'm one of those people. I'm a tax collector. And as I was collecting taxes for Rome and a little bit for me, I heard a commotion coming my way. The street is typically quiet. Who wants to hang out with a tax collector? But on this day, there was a crowd coming my way. 
And the crowd grew and grew and grew as they came down the road. And then I heard a name. I heard the name Jesus. Now, I had never met this man before, but I had heard about him. I'd never seen him face to face, but I had heard stories about what he could do and what he was doing in the areas around me. I heard stories of his teaching, that he taught as one who had authority. He would teach in such a way that people would see God like they never had before. I'd heard about his teaching. But he wasn't just like a rabbi. He wasn't just a teacher. He was also healing people. I mean, get this. The story is that Jesus... He healed a man with leprosy. Now, I won't even talk to a man with leprosy. And yet, here, Jesus is healing and touching a man with leprosy. I mean, these people are usually outcast, and yet, here, this teacher is healing a man with leprosy. But not only could he teach, and not only could he heal, this man also claimed to be able to forgive sins. One day, he was teaching, and the room was full. The house was packed, and four men came carrying a friend who was on a mat. He was paralyzed from birth. And they wanted to get him to Jesus. Why? Because he's the healer. And they couldn't get in because the crowds were big and rude. I mean, you know how church people are. And so they dug through the roof, and they lowered their friend to Jesus. And Jesus not only healed this man, but he forgave this man of his sins. You see, it was just as easy for Jesus to tell a man to get up and walk as it is to say, your sins are forgiven. And he's coming my way. Now, I might be Jewish, but you're not going to find me at the synagogue. I might be Jewish, but you're not going to find me running in religious circles. That's not me. And yet, here comes Jesus. He stops and the crowd parts, and he comes right to my booth. And with two words, he changed my life forever. With two words, who I was, what I was about, what I would do with the rest of my life changed. Jesus got me eyes to eyes. He said, Levi. Matthew, follow me. At which point I got up and followed him. I didn't know where we were going, but I knew who I was going with. I was following Jesus. You see, this is the story of Matthew. One of the disciples who Jesus called, one of the disciples who Jesus sent to share his message with others. And as we look at Matthew's story, let's unpack it together from Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says that as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. Mark and Luke would call him Levi. And, but apparently, what did Matthew like to be called? Apparently, Matthew liked to be called Matthew instead of Levi. Why? Because in the gospel he wrote, his name is Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, a tax collector in this time would have been seen like a thief and a traitor to his people. He was a traitor to his people because he was an agent of, of Rome. 
And he was a thief from his people because he would not only take the taxes that the people must pay, but he would also add a percentage on so that he could profit personally from their taxation. And so he was a thief and a traitor as a tax collector. And yet here Jesus comes up and says, follow me. Like he healed the leper that was an outcast, Jesus says to an outcast, to a thief and to a traitor, follow me. Levi, Matthew, would have been like a modern-day debt collector, one who had a debt to collect and one who would add profit to his own bottom line. These people are hard to love. Anybody here love a tax collector? If you're married to an IRS agent, please raise your hand. (laughs) These people were hard to love, and yet that's exactly what Jesus did here. And he said to Matthew, verse 9 continues, He said, follow me. He told him that, and Matthew got up and followed him. Two words forever changed Matthew's life. Two words changed Levi to Matthew. Two words changed a tax collector into a disciple. Two words, follow me. And the story of Matthew is a similar story that we're going to see in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, where Jesus looks and people get up and follow him instantly. For some of us, that means today you need to follow Jesus by believing that he is the Savior, that he is the one that can not only teach you and heal you and make you right, but he's the one that can forgive you of your sins. When Jesus says, follow me, it starts with a step of faith where we say, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And you're going to see that Jesus came to rescue people like you and like me who are sinners in need, desperate need, of a savior. For others of us as believers in Jesus, when Jesus looks and says, follow me, when we have our own eyes to eyes moment with Jesus and he says, follow me, he's inviting you to follow him like Matthew followed him in this moment. Matthew followed and didn't look back. Matthew followed and didn't wonder, would it be better if I stayed as a tax collector sinner or would it be better if I followed Jesus with all of my life? Jesus says, follow me. Don't look back. What's your next step? Is it to believe? Is it to completely commit your life to Christ because he has said to you, follow me? What's your next step? So you'll never believe what happened next. Jesus and I were walking along the road. He said, where do you live, Matthew? I said, oh, I'm just a couple blocks over. I'll share my location with you. And Jesus said, Matthew, can can I come over to dinner at your house tonight? I'd like to meet some of your friends. And I thought to myself, Jesus wants to meet my friends? If you think I'm bad, wait till you see the people I hang out with. If you think I'm unforgivable, if you think I'm unlovable, wait till you meet those sinners and the really bad tax collectors that hang out at my house. Matthew, I want to meet your friends. Where do you live? Can we have dinner tonight? Jesus, I haven't cleaned my house in weeks, I think. But I say anyway, sure thing. Let's go to my house. Follow me. That night, we pull it together and we throw a party. 
where my friends and then my new best friend, Jesus, shows up. And this was a strange crowd, to say the least. We've got some tax collectors. We've got some people with really bad reputations. We've got people that have done horrible things so nobody else in our town will be kind to them except for people like me. And then we've got Jesus. And when Jesus shows up, not only to sinners and tax collectors, but also these religious people showed up. And they were not happy with him. But Jesus taught us a lot as he dealt with those people. Matthew 9, verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and with his disciples. I love that early in the gospel here, we see that it's not strange or odd for Jesus to be hanging out with sinners, for Jesus to be hanging out with people who need a relationship with him. It wasn't a popular decision, but it was the right decision based on why Jesus, the promised one, came. Here's where it was unpopular. Matthew 9, 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, the religious people of the day would never hang out with those who had a bad reputation. The religious people of the day would never hang out with those that seemed far from God. The religious people of the day looked at this teacher, this rabbi, sitting in the middle of a a rough crowd. And and said, why is he with them? I think on some level they were afraid that those sinners might affect or infect the rabbi, the teacher, the healer, our Messiah. They didn't realize that he was God, that he wouldn't be infected or affected by these people, but instead he was coming to people like us so that he could change them. Story continues. Jesus does this time and time again in the Gospels. He hears people's thoughts about him. He can even read their minds when they think things about him. This time the Pharisees spoke up and Jesus spoke out. Matthew 9, verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. In this conversation with Matthew and his friends and the Pharisees, Jesus gives us the reason why he came for us. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's not those who think they can be made right by their religious work and effort in being good people that need a doctor. It is the sick. It is the sinners. It's the tax collectors. It's the people that know they can never be right with God if it weren't for Jesus Christ. It's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. It's a perfect word picture because Jesus is known as the great physician. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. He is your healer, your great physician. And in this story, as we come to Jesus, we are those that are sick. We are those that are in need. And Jesus says to us, follow me. Jesus says to us, do life with me. Jesus says to us, be an eyewitness to what I am doing in the world. So if you go to the doctor and you're not sick, what do they call you? Well, first of all, you're crazy, right? I mean, who would go sit in a waiting room for 45 minutes and then go sit another 45 minutes on that little table with the paper on it, only to hear the doctor say, you're healthy, right? You do that, you're sick. In fact, there's a name for it. You're a hypochondriac. You are appearing to be sick, though you're healthy. 
But what if you appear to be sick? Pardon me. But what if you appear to be healthy before Jesus and you're actually sick? What does that make you? It doesn't make you a hypochondriac. It makes you a hypocrite. And that's what Jesus was calling the Pharisees out on in that moment. You appear to be healthy and you think you're good. But the great physician is here and you're nothing but a hypocrite. I would rather have someone who is sick than someone who pretends to be healthy, Jesus is saying. And so the story of Matthew continues. Jesus says to the Pharisees, Matthew 9, verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous, to call the righteous, pardon me. You know, I was a speech major, but that doesn't mean I can read. So I'm going to try it one more time. Because if you get this wrong, you get everything wrong. Apparently, I almost got everything wrong. Again, here it is. Start at the top of verse 13, Toby. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, the Pharisees got it all wrong. They were looking for a savior that would come, a Messiah that would come to lead the religious. And yet God sent a savior, God sent a Messiah, God sent his promise to save sinners like you and like me. And this truth would forever impact Matthew's life. What he said there, on the very first night, I was learning from him, watching him. I saw him live it over and over and over again. When he said it's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy, he was always going to the sick. He was always going to the poor. He was welcoming the outcast. He even welcomed children and women. This is the promise of God that I saw. We would heal together as he sent us out in his name. We would teach with his authority. It was amazing what he was doing, what I got to see and then what I got to do because I was following him. And then one of the last things he told us, I will never, ever forget it because it made it really clear that this message that I'd seen him live and that I'd seen him share with so many others wasn't just for me and my generation. It was for the whole world. One day before he left us for good, he is coming again though. He said this, he said, therefore, and anytime he said, therefore, I knew I needed to pay attention. So I wrote this down. He said, go make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. You see, when Jesus said, follow me, he had some work for me to do, to go tell people about him, to teach about, teach everything that he's commanded, to baptize. And then he said something that made me feel like I actually could do it. And he said, I'm with you always, even until the very end of the age. You see, Matthew was an eyewitness to what Jesus had done, both in the world and in his life. And he wanted everyone to know it. And as you think about the takeaway for your life today, might I suggest this? Eyewitness, and you can fill in the blank, eyewitness what I have eyewitnessed. 
I witness to what I have I witnessed. Meaning, God has given you a story to share. Meaning, God has given you people to whom, with whom you should share your story. God has both given you a message and God has given you a people to share his message with. Let's start with the message. For Matthew, it was very easy. I was sitting at my tax collector booth. Jesus came along and said, follow me. I followed him. I feel healthy. I feel whole. I feel different because I'm walking with this guy, Jesus. For Matthew, that was an easy story to tell. My life-changing moment, December 27, 1989, is the moment that I believed in Jesus and found life, and he forever changed my life. I can tell that story over and over and over again. You have a story that you can tell of when Christ first saved you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you absolutely do, and you should be ready to tell that story because you witnessed to what you've eyewitnessed. I could also tell a story just uh, from two weeks ago because it's not just the story of what God did then, it's what God is doing now. I could tell the story of God two weeks ago in my life as I prayed for his mercy for my mom. And he once again proved himself to be faithful. See, God is working in our midst, church. It's a matter of will we see it and will we tell others the story of God that's at work in us? Let me ask you this just real straight up. With a show of hands, Port Lavaca Lone Tree, y'all play along too. Internet campus, y'all can type, hand up. Do you have a story of God's faithfulness in your life that needs to be shared? Look at that. And then the second question, who should I share my story with? God has already given us a group of people. It's our friends. It's our former enemies. It's those that we used to hate and those that we ran with in good relationships. I mean, think about how God did it with Matthew. The people that he was once stealing from, he was now called to reach. The people that he was once lifting his own personal commission off of, the people that he was a traitor to, he was now writing to so that they would know the promise of God. Who are the people that God has put in your life so that you can share that simple message of what God has done or is doing in your life right now? What's that circle look like? Coworkers, friends? What's that circle look like? Family? What's that circle look like? As you think about that, we want to tell you the story of an eyewitness account of a young lady in our church family who God used to share her story and who she witnessed God work on her behalf so that could happen. So let's together listen to Miranda's story. Check it out. How are you doing, Miranda? You can have a seat right there. I'm good. I'm nervous. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Okay, so first I want you to talk about how you knew that I was meant to go. That you were meant to go. Like what made you decide you needed to go? Like how did you hear about it? What was there a stirring that you felt like I need to go? How and how did God provide for you to go? Like that's God's power and this like all of those things on there. It's like God promises to take care of us and to do things for us and when we have the right motive. You want to sit here and talk to me? No. I know. You won't be on camera. Just your voice. No, I don't want to be on it. Why? I think you should. I'm just trying to help you. No, because I'm. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't like being. So. Dominican Republic, how did you decide to go on that trip? So, I uh, went through a rough patch in high school, and 
I started to go to therapy through Stitch. And um, every they're nonprofit, and so all of their resources are free, available whenever you need them. Um, and so I was in therapy for, I think it was two or three years. And then my life started to come back together again. And um, I had always known that I was really passionate about working with people and that I, I had a calling um, for people and for outreach specifically. So one day I uh, was sitting in church and I was sitting by myself and I opened the pamphlet and the first thing that I saw was the Dominican like advertisement uh, saying that, hey, if you're interested in going, we have a meeting that you need to go to and just get some information to see if it's right for you. And God spoke to me and was like, you're going. And I'm like, uh, God, I don't know if you know this, but that trip's like $2,000. And, and I don't really have that just laying around. Uh, and so he said, no, no, this is it. You're going. And that was when I realized that that was really like the perfect time to give back because this was the first time that uh, Parkway as a church had uh, partnered with Stitch Ministry. And so I knew that it was definitely a fit. We started my fundraising and I started sending out sponsorship letters and um, I only sent them to about, I think it was 15 people and the majority of my trip was paid for um, by them. And, but it was a, there was a lull where for a while no money had come in and I was checking with Julie relentlessly saying like, hey, how's my funds looking? And she's like, you need to touch base with your people because nothing has come in. Uh, and so it was the deadline that I needed the deposit for my plane ticket. And the deposit was, I think, $800, and I only had uh, $400 left to come up with. And uh, they needed it that night. And my mom had uh, gotten the money out of savings to pay for it, and she was taking it up to the church. And Julie had called me, and she said, hey, uh, I'm not at the office right now, but somebody had just checked on your financials, and..." Um, it's saying that you have over $1,200 in your account, so your flight is definitely paid for. And my mom, I called my mom and she was on the steps going to the Parkway offices. And it was, I called her and she started crying. Mm -hmm. And so that was really when it was like set in stone that God really does work and this is really meant to be. So that was so. confirmation for Yes, okay. for sure, yeah. Where did you see God work while you were there? <laughs> Can I use Hannah's story? Sure. Okay. Um, so we did several different VBS locations um, throughout the different villages in the Dominican. And uh, one of the last days that we were there, we were set up in a pretty uh, poor village. And uh, none of the people spoke English, none of the kids spoke English, uh, but there was a little girl who came up to Tori Morgan and she had asked for her bobby pin. She pointed to her hair and asked for a bobby pin and uh, Tori had realized that her, sh she was asking for a bobby pin because her shoe had broken. She had really cheap uh, shower shoes where the soles can just come off. And so they had broken so many times that she knew that a bobby pin would fix them. Uh, but this time they were so broken that uh, there was no going back. You couldn't fix them anyway. So Tori's daughter was standing right beside her, and she said, well, she can have my shoes. 
And so she took off her shoes and they were too big on her. Um, and so she asked her sister and her sh sister's shoes fit her perfectly. And so both of those girls um, gave their shoes up to give to the little girl and come to find out uh, those shoes were like the community pair of shoes where if you had to go somewhere, if you had to walk around town, they used those shoes because not everybody could afford shoes. So they didn't just give one girl a pair of shoes, they gave the whole village yes. a pair of shoes. Yeah, nice. so that was really cool to witness. Just from saying yes uh, to different opportunities, I have had a ability to strengthen my walk with Christ. Um, I've gotten more involved with collegiate. I am now part of the cafe ministry. Um, I have the ability to use my uh, voice and create relationships with uh, the people, the volunteers that I have in there every week. Um, so things are finally starting to come together and I'm, I'm realizing that it's because I just said yes. And I was like, okay, God, you got this because I don't. So it's just kind of giving up everything that I thought that I knew or that I think I know and just letting him really work in my life. And that saying yes started the day that you said yes to God to go to the meeting, yes, right? Yes, yes. That was the first yes. Yes, that was the first yes and it's just been yeses since. <laughs> <laughs>is what's your yes to Jesus today? Is it, yes, Jesus, I will believe in you and find life. I am one of the sick people that you came to save. I'm not gonna claim to be right with you without Jesus. I know that I need Jesus and I know that I need you. Is that your yes today? Or maybe you're already a believer in Jesus and so your yes is to say, God, I'm gonna follow you like Matthew did. I'm not gonna look back. God, I'm gonna follow you like Matthew did. I'm gonna learn and grow. Long-term commitment, this is no short-term play for me, God. I am doing life with you. Or maybe your yes is like, Matthew, you're gonna put yourself in a place where you can share Jesus with others. We've got an easy way for you to say yes to that coming up in the next couple weeks. At each campus, we're having a Love Your Neighbor weekend, and all weekend long, there are service projects where you can say yes to Jesus to serve your neighbor because he came to seek and save that which is lost, and that's people like us and people like our friends and neighbors. What's your yes to Jesus today? Because I know his statement to you and me is, follow me. Will you give him your yes? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word and to learn and grow and be challenged today. God, now as we commit our lives to you, may you speak to us and work in us. And may you, God, use our church to make a difference in the world around us. As we pray together, church family, let's start here. What's your yes? Will you witness to what you've eyewitnessed by serving others? Will you witness to what you've eyewitnessed by telling others about Christ? Will you witness to what you've eyewitnessed in Christ by reminding yourself that you're his kid, that he's at work in you? As we pray together, I want to pray 
couple of Bible verses for you. The Apostle Paul wrote this. For Christ's love compels us. God, may your love be the compelling factor that sends us out to share your message and your story with others. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. God, help us to share not only good things, but to share the gospel that one man came, lived a perfect life, and died a criminal's death so that we could have life. God, help us to share your message because we're compelled by your love. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Father, I pray that your church, that the believers in Jesus Christ would, would be living for you and not for themselves. That there would be a level of commitment to the gospel and it's spreading because we're convinced of who Jesus is and we're compelled by his love. God, I pray that believers all across our church would say yes to you as you say, follow me. If you're here today and you've never believed in Christ for life, maybe today's your day. The Bible says that Jesus is both Savior and Lord and he invites you to believe in him that you're a sinner who needs a savior and that he died for you and was raised again. He invites you to believe in him for eternal life. If today's your day, let's mark it with a prayer you can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a savior and that you are the savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life. 